seems there's no shortage of crises in these days. Kirby Anderson explains managing your money in these difficult times, now on Probe. A number of years ago, I wrote a book with the appropriate title, Making the Most of Your Money in Tough Times. Although there have been tough times in the past, we certainly need some biblical wisdom about our money and how to manage it in our current circumstances. Here are a few key principles that I discuss in that book and in a more recent book on the subject of Christians and economics. First of all, what is a biblical view of money? Well, let's start by correcting a common cliche that money is the root of all evil. Actually, the biblical passage says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Money is not evil, but the love of money can be a concern. Money can provide for your family, feed the poor, promote the gospel. It can also be used to buy drugs, engage in prostitution, and destroy individuals and society. The real question is, what is your attitude towards money? What do you plan to do with the financial resources God has placed into your hands? While we're talking about money, let's focus some attention on wealth. Within the Christian community, we are often bombarded with unbiblical views of wealth. At one extreme are those who preach a prosperity gospel of health and wealth for all believers. At the other extreme are radical Christians who condemn all wealth and imply that a rich Christian is a contradiction in terms. What is a biblical view of wealth? Well, first, wealth in and of itself is not condemned. The Bible teaches that God gave material wealth to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and Joseph. Even though wealth might be an evidence of God's blessing, believers are not to trust in it. Passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament teach that the believer should not trust in wealth but in God. Second, when wealthy people in the Bible were condemned, they were condemned for the means by which their riches were obtained, not for the riches themselves. The Old Testament prophet Amos railed against the injustice of obtaining wealth through oppression or fraud. Micah spoke out against the unjust scales and light weights. Neither Amos nor Micah condemned wealth per se, but only denounced the unjust means by which it sometimes was achieved. And third, Christians should be concerned about the effect wealth can have on our lives. We read in many passages that wealth often tempts us to forget about God. Proverbs 30, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Hosea 13 says that there were those who were satisfied that their heart became proud and ultimately they forgot about the Lord. Well, this week we're looking at money management in a crisis and tomorrow we'll look at the issue of a biblical view of giving. This has been Probe with your host, Kirby Anderson. There's a bunch of bad thinking you need to fix, especially when it comes to your money. Get Kirby's free transcript, Managing Your Money in Difficult Times, at probe.org. Then join us next time here on Probe. In order to develop a biblical point of view on money, we should first focus on the subject of giving. The concept of the tithe is introduced in the Old Testament, and the word tithe means a tenth part. Once you understand that, someone who says that they make $3,000 a month but only gives $100 a month is not tithing. Now, there's no explicit command in the New Testament to tithe. The primary reason is the tithe was for the Levites and the priests. The substitutionary death of Christ for our sins did away with the need for a temple and the priest. So in the New Testament, we do see numerous verses calling for believers to give. For example, we are to give to those who minister. We are to give to those who trust God to supply their needs. We are to give as God has prospered them, and we are to give cheerfully. And the Bible teaches that we are ultimately to give account for our stewardship. 
Now, the first century believers set a very high standard for giving. They sold their goods and gave money to any believer in need. They sold their property and gave the entire amount to the work of the apostles, and they also gave generously to the ministry of Paul on a continual basis. Now, even though the tithe was no longer required, it appears that the early believers used the tithe as a baseline for their giving. Paul makes it clear that Christians are not to give grudgingly or under compulsion, but as each believer has purposed in his heart. Although the tithe was no longer a mandatory requirement, it seems to have provided a basis for voluntary giving by believers. There's also a correlation between sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9 says that now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Elsewhere in the scripture, we read that the size of a harvest corresponds to what we scatter. Proverbs 11 says, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Notice that a spiritual harvest may be different from the kind of seed that's sown. For example, a material seed for giving to a ministry may reap a spiritual harvest, which we see in 1 Corinthians 9. Finally, we are to give according to what we have purposed in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What is a biblical view on debt? Proverbs 22.7 says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender. When you borrow money and put yourself in debt, you put yourself in a situation where the lender has significant influence over you. Many other verses in the Proverbs also warn about the potential danger of taking on debt, especially another person's debt. While this does not mean that we can never be in debt, it does warn us about its dangers. If you are debt-free, you are able to be free to follow the Lord's leading in your life. If you're in debt, you are constrained to become a servant to the lender. People who are in financial bondage are not emotionally or spiritually free. Their financial obligations wear heavily upon their mind and spirit. The Bible also teaches that it is wrong to borrow and not repay. Psalm 37 says the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Some have taught that Christians should never go into debt. The basis for that teaching is usually the passage in Romans 13, 8, which says, Owe nothing to anyone. Although some have argued that this verse prohibits debt, the passage needs to be seen in the context. This passage is not a specific teaching about debt, but rather a summary of our duty as Christians to governmental authority. Paul is teaching that we should not owe anything to anyone, honor, taxes, but he is not teaching that we should never incur debt. While it is better that we are debt-free, this passage is not commanding us never to go into debt. So how can we get out of debt? Well, first, establish the right priorities. God owns it all. Unfortunately, we often believe that we own it all. We need to mentally transfer ownership of all our possessions to God in Psalm 8. This would also include giving the Lord his part in honoring him through your giving. Second, stop borrowing. If a pipe broke in your house, the first thing you would do is shut off the water before you started to mop up the water. Before you do anything else, shut off the borrowing. Don't use the credit card. Don't take out a bank loan. Third, develop a budget. This is something you might do by yourself or with the help of many online ministries and financial services that provide guidelines. Or you may consult with a financial expert who can give you guidelines. 
Tomorrow, we'll consider our discussion of debt by first looking at the disastrous consequences of debt, then we'll focus on credit card debt, and we'll see why the Bible warns us about debt. This week, we're looking at biblical principles on money management in a crisis. Yesterday, we talked about biblical principles concerning debt. Today, I'd like to continue our discussion by looking first at some of the consequences of debt, because people in debt often deny reality. In order to realistically deal with the debt in our lives, we need to get rid of some of the silly ideas running around in our heads. For example, you're not going to win the lottery. Your debt problem is not going to go away if you just ignore it. And a computer glitch in your lender's computer is not going to accidentally wipe out your financial records so you don't have to repay your debt. Another consequence of debt is a loss of integrity. When we cannot pay, we start saying things like, the check's in the mail when it isn't. We not only kid ourselves, but we try to mislead others about the extent of our problem with debt. Sometimes debt even leads to dishonesty. Psalm 37 says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. We should repay our debts. A third consequence of debt is addiction. Debt is addictive. Once in debt, we begin to be comfortable with cars, consumer goods, furniture, all funded through debt. Once we reach that comfort level, we go into further debt. And a final consequence of debt is stress. Stress experts have calculated the impact of various stress factors in our lives. Some of the greatest are the death of a spouse or divorce. But it is amazing how many other stress factors are financially related. We worry and feel a heavy load of stress that wouldn't exist if we lived debt-free. We're often in debt because of credit cards. So here are four principles for dealing with that form of debt. First, realize that the problem is not the credit card in your hand. The problem may be with the person holding the credit card. Second, never use credit cards except for budgeted purchases. Impulse shopping with credit cards is one of the major reasons people find themselves in debt. Third, pay off your credit cards every month. If you cannot pay off your credit card bill, don't use your credit card again until you can pay your bill. Fourth, pay off your credit card on time. Many credit cards issued have a universal default clause, which allows the credit card company to increase the interest rate on your card if you pay a bill more than 30 days late to another creditor. These two days of programs illustrate why the Bible warns us about debt. Tomorrow, we'll conclude by looking at what the Bible has to say about savings. What is a biblical view of savings? In the book of Proverbs, it encourages those who do not save to consider how a lowly creature like the ant prepares for the future. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. You know, the writer of Proverbs also talks about how wise people save in contrast to foolish people who do not. Proverbs 21, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. We should always have a budget. Author and speaker John Maxwell has a great definition of a budget. He says a budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. The book of Proverbs admonishes us to plan. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. But as we develop these plans for the future, we also need to be sensitive to the Lord's leading. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Bible promises that good things will happen when we plan. Proverbs 21 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. By contrast, the Bible also teaches that your plans will fail if your plans are not within the will of God. 
Isaiah 30 says, destruction is certain for my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to my will. You weave a web of plans that are not from the spirit, thus piling up your sins. If you do not have anything in savings, you need to begin by putting aside a cash reserve for emergencies. Proverbs 22.5 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Everyone needs a cash reserve for major emergencies like a fire or a tornado or an earthquake, but even for small emergencies and inconveniences like a broken appliance, a car repair, or a flat tire. Most financial advisors suggest that you have six months worth of income set aside for an emergency or unexpected expense. You may not have that right now to set aside, but today is a good time to set aside some money. Make it your goal to set aside one month's worth of income. This week we've provided a brief overview of money management. I encourage you to read books and visit websites that will give you even more direction on how to use your money. The Bible provides insight in giving, savings, and debt. Apply these principles and allow God to bless you.